Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. Not growing up in the church, I was unfamiliar with the liturgical seasons that uh, accompany some houses of worship. Advent being one of them. But then I realized that not even all worshiping communities go to the rhythm of the liturgical calendar, and some pick and choose which of those events that they really want to focus on. I can't imagine preparing for Easter Sunday without having gone through a Monday Thursday service to think about what Jesus went through on that day with his disciples when he was arrested and, and what was going on in their minds as they watched him die on that Friday and then Saturday waiting for the authorities to knock on the doors to arrest them as well only to have Jesus appear to them the next day behind closed and locked doors. And neither can I imagine celebrating the birth of our Savior without intentionally thinking through the season of Advent. When I began my ministry back in 1993, one of my first Advent sermons was titled, Not Once, But Twice. And that was a refrain that I used throughout the sermon, not once, but twice, not once, but twice. And the idea behind that is that Advent is a season for us to remember that the promise is for the Messiah to come, not once, but twice. And we celebrate the first advent, his first coming, when we celebrate Christmas. But his return is called the second coming. In fact, my understanding is that newspapers, their largest Print type for a headlines is called a second coming font because that's the largest event that anybody could possibly think of the return of Christ. And that is the promise that God has given to us. Yes, He came once. And that was such an important advent. And the, 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 the disciples, they didn't understand what Jesus was doing because they were expecting this triumphal Messiah to come and, and to lead them into a military victory over their oppressors. But Jesus knew that political freedom meant nothing if the individual was still a prisoner of sin. And that first coming was all about preparing for the second coming. So that when the second coming 
occurs that we would know that we were forgiven, that we would know that sin no longer held sway over our lives, that we would no longer be slaves of sin, but to become slaves of righteousness, that we would on that day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, that we would be presented before the throne of grace without spot, without wrinkle. We know the hope. Because of that first advent, but that first advent is a foreshadowing of an even greater hope to come when Jesus returns. If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to open them to the book of Ephesians. We're leaving John for the season of Advent. Ephesians is a book, a letter that Paul wrote when he was in prison in Rome. You know, God really does some of his best work in prison. <laughs> Not that I want any of us to go to prison. But this is a letter to the church of Ephesus in which Paul wants them to understand the importance of the body of Christ that Jesus is the head, but that we are the body. And the unity of the church is paramount in moving forward. I'm reminded of a, of a, of a phrase that was attributed to Ben Franklin uh, when the, this nation was founded, and he said, we need to all hang together or we'll hang separately. And there's a sense in which the church needs to hang together. We need to support and encourage one another. And in this letter, and I would encourage you to read this letter sometime this week. It's six chapters. It's short. It'd take you maybe a half an hour to read it. And the first three chapters gives you this incredible theology. And then the last three chapters tells you what to do with it. But Paul writes to this community that he deeply, deeply loves and he prays for them. And that's what I want to look at in this first chapter is the prayer, part of the prayer that Paul offers up on behalf of this church in the first chapter, starting with verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, 
may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. What an amazing prayer that Paul offers. And why does he do this? He does this because he knows that the Spirit is at work in the church in Ephesus. Just like I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Holy Spirit is at work in the church on the corner of 10th and C. And Paul's prayer for them is very similar to my prayer for you. Listen again. Why is Paul praying? Because he heard about their faith in the Lord Jesus and their love for all the saints. It's a both and. And you know, you really can't have one without the other. It just doesn't work. A group of us are working our way through uh, uh, John's first epistle on, uh, on Tuesday night. And, and John makes the statement in there that anybody who says that they love the Lord, but they hate a brother or a sister, the truth is not in them. What's the greatest commandment when Jesus was asked? Tell me, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus responds by saying, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. When we celebrate communion, I encourage you to hold on to the bread until everyone has been served. Why? Because we are one body in Christ. But when the cup is passed, I invite you to partake of the cup whenever you are prepared individually. Why? Because individually we are grafted in to this family of faith. The reality is we need each other. I can say with certainty that it is possible to be a Christian and not be a part of a worshiping community. But I can say with equal certainty that the only way that we are going to grow as Christians is to be a part of a worshiping community. We cannot do it alone. We need each other. You need each other. As we go through this Advent season, another is coming. Ultimately, that'll be Christ Jesus. Come, Lord, and come soon. Come today. I'd be happy. I'm panicking about trying to think about moving out of that house. <laughs> but there's also going to be somebody that's going to come after I retire. And this congregation needs to be filled with hope. Because your hope is not in me or the person who is coming, but it is in the Lord Jesus and your love for one another. Yeah. 
And so you come together and you support one another. And, and how could it be any more difficult or troubling than what we are experiencing in the larger world out there? Oh my gosh, these are challenging times. But what a great opportunity for the church to stand together and demonstrate the light and the love of Christ to one another. This is what excites Paul in his prayer. I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. The two go together. They cannot be separated. Your love for one another, the unity of this body will demonstrate your love in Christ to all those who are wondering what's going to happen when Pastor David retires. There is so much to do and the opportunities abound and those opportunities will present themselves as you demonstrate your love for the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for one another. But Paul goes on, wait, there's more. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I mean, I kind of got sidetracked a little bit. Uh, in some translations, the word spirit is capitalized. In some, it's not. God has already given us the spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. That came at Pentecost. So what spirit is he giving us? What spirit are we cultivating? The spirit of wisdom and a spirit of revelation. But for what purpose? for the purpose of knowing him better. Knowing Christ, who he is. I like biographies. I've read many biographies. And at the end of those biographies, I kind of have a sense that I know the person that I'm reading about. But I don't know the person. I've never met them. The danger is reading a gospel and saying at the end of reading a gospel, I know who Jesus is, but not really knowing who Jesus is. And the reality through the Holy Spirit, Jesus is present closer than we can possibly imagine. How can that be? That's what Paul is saying. That's why I'm praying for the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we can... Take the knowledge that we have, that we glean from the Bible and apply it in our lives. That's the definition of wisdom, is the right application of knowledge. And you've heard me say this before. Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to cut it up and put it in the fruit salad. Paul wants, I want, 
God to give all of us the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might know Jesus better. And how do you learn to know someone better? By spending time with them. By talking with them. By asking questions. And you think, wait a minute, I can't ask Jesus questions, can't you? So much of our time of prayer is ticking off the boxes of things that we want from him. And I love the, 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 the child who, was, who was, was praying for everybody and her brother and the neighbor's dog next door. And, and, and the parents are listening. And at first it's cute. But it kind of keeps going on and on. And they see it as a delay tactic. She just doesn't want to go to bed. And so she goes through and she prays for it. Sounds like she's praying for everybody that she can possibly think of. And then she says, well, that's all I have for you, Lord. Now, what do you have for me? Oh, my. Oh, my. It takes time to get to know someone. And is, as, we, as we read the Gospels, dare I say, as we soak in the word of the Lord, that that spirit comes upon us to help us to know him better. And to know him better is to experience the fullness of this wreath, not just the hope, but also the peace and the joy and the love that comes through the Advent process. But he doesn't stop there. I also pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And what is that hope? The hope is in the second coming. I'm reminded of uh, uh, the beginning of the book of Acts. And they're standing around with Jesus. And he asks them, he says, so Lord, are, are you at this time going to restore your kingdom to Israel? And, and Jesus says this in Acts chapter 1, verse 7. He says, it is not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Can you imagine? Standing around talking with Jesus and all of a sudden he begins to levitate and get higher and higher, taken up into the clouds. It's like there might have been a few heart palpitations at that point. And they were looking intently up into the skies as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. 
men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the very same way you have seen him go into heaven. The hope. He's going to come back. He's going to descend from the clouds. And I love the passage in, in, in 1 Corinthians where Paul writes this. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. We used to have that on a plaque outside our nursery. <clears throat> Just... <laughs> I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with the immortal. That is our hope. That not only will we see the Lord again when he descends, when he returns to fully establish his kingdom, but when we see him, we will be changed. We will be transformed and all things will be new. I don't know about you, but I know that Bart and I are both looking forward to having a new back. All things will be new. Our hope is in the appearance of Christ. And a new body and a new soul. The appearance of our Lord, a new body, a healed body, and a healed soul. And then I saw the new heaven and the new earth for the first heaven and the first, first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven from God prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with people and he will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who's seated on the throne said, I am made making everything new. And then he said, write these down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is our hope. This is our hope. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in, in the saints, in the community, in the fellowship and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Power. Now, there's a scary word because we have all been under someone else's power and it's no fun. So what is this incomparably great power that God is talking about? It is the power to transform us. It is the power that comes from above 
unlike earthly power that is limited, godly power is unlimited. And it is given to us to empower us to be God's people, especially in difficult times, especially when challenges are in front of us, especially when there is uncertainty in our future. Because we don't know the future, but we know who holds the future. And that is the power of the Holy Spirit that is available and at work in those who love the Lord Jesus Christ and who love the saints. Oh, that we might have a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know him better and to know this hope tangibly with hearts that are wide open to know that we have a glorious future and to celebrate the power that is at work within us. What better way could we go into the season of Advent than to go in with a measure of hope, to know the hope of his returning in all that that means. We find ourselves in the already but not yet. Already we have received the restoration and the forgiveness of sins that transforms us to be more like Jesus. Ah, but that day is going to come when he will return and right every wrong and straighten every crooked path and there will be no more tears, no more war, no more crying, no more pain. That, my friends, is a glorious hope worth clinging to with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this hope that is ours. As we celebrate this hope in this season, fill our hearts with a sense of expectation that you are at work and that you will never forsake us. And we will give you the glory and the honor for it all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. Tis the season to be jolly. <laughs> and the days and the weeks that lead up to Christmas will hopefully be joyful, but they'll also be hectic. And there will be some sadness and some disappointment and a large measure of stress. But know the hope. And as we go through this Advent season, as we prepare to celebrate the birth of our Savior, reflect often on the hope that is ours, not just in the forgiveness of sins, though that would be enough, but the knowledge of his return. He will come again. And let us be ready, united, together, loving each other as we love the Lord 
with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And this Advent season will be one that is filled with hope and peace and joy and love. But those are sermons for another day.